John Bailey, and on this week's episode of Popcorn Junkie, I've got most of my voice back, so we should be able to do a full episode once again. And uh, we have a light one on review, but a major one on discussion. So for the review portion, we'll be covering uh, the only new release this weekend, since it was Big Game Weekend, uh, Miss Bala. And then uh, a quick Netflix and chat about the two Fire Festival documentaries: Fire, the party that never ha- the greatest party that never happened, and Fire Fraud uh, from Netflix and Hulu, respectively. So, without further ado, let's get started. Tell me lies. I'm gonna hurt you. I'm not giving up on my family. La bala. In the end, the bullet. Settles everything. So I was afraid that this would end up being a sort of middle of the road, almost directed video quality movie uh, with with Gina Rodriguez accepting. Uh, but you know, I still wanted it to do well just because it featured a prom- uh, predominantly. Uh, Hispanic, Latinx, and specifically Latinx, uh, uh, cast. And, uh, I don't know if it's fully Latinx, but it's definitely, but, you know, there's, uh, you know, I was hoping for something like this the same way I was rooting for, uh, Crazy Rich Asians for Asian actors and, you know, the, you know, the rise in predominantly, more mainstream, predominantly black movies. I was hoping for, you know, I did want it to be good enough that it would, you know, it would be a sign to rich white producers, hey, people pay to see this, you should make more of these. But, uh, we'll see about that when it comes to the box office, but as for the quality... When I found out there was, much like with The Upside, when I found out there was based on a foreign language film, I feel like that one would be the better film. When it comes to adapting foreign language films, Hollywood tends to scrub down anything that might be, anything that's not marketable and sand off all, any kind of rough edges they can. Like, this is a PG-13 action movie when the original was a hard R drama. Like, the heart, the drama came from the fact that a woman was being abducted and used by the cartel. Like, this is based on a, a same, movie of the same name from Mexico from 2011. And it was very critically acclaimed at the time of its release. And here they took a, you know, it was basi- it would basically be like someone, maybe uh, the UK or China, taking, let's say, um, I won't say... Go so far as Schindler's List or uh, Twelve Years a Slave, something that I don't know if it goes that far, but let's say Sophie's Choice. Uh, let's say they took so let, let I think I feel like that maybe in a similar vein without being too racially charged. Uh, yeah, let's say someone took uh, Sophie's Choice or maybe Girl Interrupted, and they turned that into an action movie, a PG thirteen action movie. That's essentially what we've got here, from what I can tell. I hear nothing but good things about the original uh, from what from uh, what I looked into, and then here, it's a PG thirteen action movie. It, it they just they did so much watering down that they did the worst thing possible and made it PG thirteen. That's 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 not what you do with this kind of material. That 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 only goes so far to as to make whatever interesting stuff you wanted to do be completely pointless like 
What is the point of tackling these issues if all you're going to do is just sugarcoat them, essentially? And, yeah, that's kind of what the problem is. Most of the actors, uh, I, I will say the, um, the, the, the one uh, gay friend from Mary Queen of Scots, that's... That's not a that's not a joke. That he is literally uh, the gay uh, a gay the gay part of her entourage. He's he's a gay man who's part of uh, Mary's entourage. Uh, that actor returns here as the head of the cartel, and he's kind of he, he's not quite nailing it, but he also doesn't exactly look the part either. He's he's everybody here is really pretty, like exceedingly pretty. Even with the tattoos, they just basically look like you know hipsters. Essentially, they don't look like they don't look as threatening as cartel members because they're they're all cleaned up and pretty. So I think that's part of the problem is once again by making a PG thirteen, you can't make them look just absolutely menacing. You can only make them look CW menacing, and I think even the CW can do better, honestly. But that's that's that, all that stuff is kind of secondary to the fact that this is basically a vehicle for Gina Rodriguez to hopefully break into more film. And she's good. She is the only reason to see this movie because she manages she manages the entire gamut of emotions throughout this and is kind of stuck trying to stuck trying to get out of her own situation and she's proving herself that she could easily be in much better movies. It's just this this the problems with this started from the writing and it could have easily just been Sony stepping in and saying, no, we can't do this, can't do that, can't do this, don't go this far, we want it to be PG-13. And that could have easily been studio problems. Uh, I'd have to see the original script, but it may have just been the writing where somebody wrote it to be a PG-13, uh, you know, scrubbed down version, but I can't say for sure. Uh, maybe, the, uh, of course, maybe Sony had the rights to it and they commissioned that. I, I can't say. I don't know the the true behind-the-scenes process of this, but I do know that uh, the, then, once again, of course, Anthony Mackie is, is a glorified cameo in this. He's basically the... He's basically like... It looks like they basically got him Bruce Willis-style. Okay, you've only got me for one day between Avengers filming uh, or something, but yeah, he's not in there at... He's barely in there. But yeah, this is mainly Gina's movie, and, she, and if it were a lesser actor... It would have been it would have been much more forgettable, but she does elevate it beyond pure direct video schlock. Uh, otherwise, it definitely is it definitely shouldn't have gone in the theaters. But um, even so, it's still not something you you should rush out to see. You're not gaining much from this. In fact, you're probably better off just going back and watching the the Mexican original. That seems to be a much better thought out and put together movie than this, which basically wants to try and turn it into your, your bait, your average PG 13 action movie. And in that regard, I feel like that's a mistake because you, by number one, making a PG, making a PG 13 means you've neutered it essentially. And number two, making an action movie kind of misses the point that this is a hard core drama. This is about a woman struggling to survive the cartel, and you turned it into a fluffy action movie. And I feel like that was a big mistake, ultimately. But otherwise, this movie is perfectly serviceable. By default, it's actually my unpopped current of the week, just because there's only three things that I saw this week. But overall, yeah, this is 
this is my technically unpopped kernel of the week, but it's not terrible. It's not the worst thing I've ever seen. In fact, I don't have anything written down for my lists in 2019. 2019 has been so bland that even the terrible schlocky horror movies that came out in January didn't make my lists for either worst or blandest just because there's just nothing. I mean, you'd think that would make make, market it for the blandest, but I feel like, I feel like that's, you know, just being, they were just okay enough to not make the blandest list. Everything was just fine. You know, it's, you know, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Just, just get it over with. You know, that's been the movie so far this year. So, this this has been this has never happened to me in all in all my years of reviewing. It's never gone to the point where we're into February and there's nothing on my end of the year lists. So well, I feel like February may change that. We'll see. But uh, for right now, yeah, there's I got nothing. I got nothing. Salutations, ladies and gentlemen. It's the Popcorn Junkie here for a little Netflix and chat. Alright. I'll admit I'm a bit late to the party, but I've been that way with a lot of the Netflix stuff. So, here, uh, it's been, I think I'm about a week out, maybe two weeks, uh, from the comparison between the Hulu documentary and the Netflix documentary about Fire Festival. The infamously terrible Dash Con of music festivals. And if you don't get that reference, if you remember the Tumblr convention with the with the ball pit, that's Dash Con. And that's basically what Fire Festival was for a bunch of rich millennials. Okay, not fully rich, but definitely upper middle class, too wealthy uh, millennials come, uh, in uh, 2017. Yeah, there was no way this was going... If you, I mean, just from watching the behind the scenes, there was no way this was going to turn out well. And then when you... And then um, in the Hulu one, we get to learn more about Billy McFarland, the guy behind it. And at there, that solidified it even more. So let's break it down this way. I don't think one is better than the other. I, people have always said... That, uh, you know, when things like this come out, uh, Deep Impact versus Armageddon, or, um, what are the other ones? Like, Ants versus the, A Bug's Life, you know, whenever there's competing movies about the same topic at the same time, Volcano and Dante's Peak, uh, that's another one. Uh, so when it comes to stuff like this, we got two Fire Festival documentaries. Which one's the better one? Um, it depends on what you define better in terms of a documentary. In terms of filmmaking, the Netflix one is far superior. Those the filmmakers there are, you know, making a professional documentary. The Hulu one, in terms of content, is 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 better just because there's more to that one. So it's not a better film; it's a better, but it's a better source of information. Um. So yeah, uh, the fire, the Netflix one, fire, the greatest party that never happened. Uh, mainly focuses on the event itself and just how it went completely awry. And it's done so in, like, a traditional modern-day documentary style. So it's it, it definitely has that documentary quality to it that you would expect from the Netflix documentary series. And so, yeah, it, it focuses especially on 
being glo- uh, upon the glorified influencer culture that's grew that grew up around social media, um, and it focuses on how nobody uh, had any idea what they were doing in putting on this festival, and. Yeah, basically, uh, Billy McFarland has always kind of been a douchebag who you who you're shocked that so many people took seriously. But yeah, apparently, if you're as long as you're a, a pompous prick, people will take you seriously in, ter- in the world of finance. <laughs> I think um, that make type that make tie all the way back to freaking Michael Douglas and Wall Street. <laughs> Everyone thinks, oh, he's like Gordon Gecko. He must know what he's talking about. And, uh, and so, yeah, and then it touches slightly. Both ones are sadly lacking on the effect that this festival had on the local Bahamians. Um, I think the Hulu one tackles it more, but there's definitely a lack. It's definitely more focused on the rich white people and their problems and about how Billy McFarlane's a douchebag. More so than, oh, hey, here are these people that thrive on tourist culture, and they were com- they've were they still, much like Trump's pe- contractors back in the day, they've still gone completely unpaid because Billy McFarland doesn't know, thinks he can, he can just do whatever he wants and not pay people their money and get away with it. And so far, he's been right, sadly. Sadly. God, rich people are the worst. At any rate, um... Yeah, I feel like you could do it. I feel like there's a third documentary out there that should be made about the uh, specifically about the Bahamians and the local Bahamians and how this festival ruined them and how they desert and how they and how they're owed the money that was promised to them by Billy McFarland and the people at, and the people behind the Fire Festival. Um so yeah, uh the Netflix one's better made. And you know it, it has more. It has more of the traditional documentary arcs and whatnot, and it has more of that style to it. It looks more professional, um, but I feel like at the end it also ends up glorifying Billy McFarland because people are still praising him for trying. It's like, hey, at least he tried. N- no, n- no, you don't get p- bonus points for trying to do something cool when you've completely screwed it up this badly. Don't don't talk nice about this guy. What did, what did he do? He's, he's a scammer. He's a con artist. And that's exactly where the Hulu documentary comes in. It focuses specifically and it ta- even tries to get answers from Billy McFarland who just dodges all the questions to the point where he's like, I can't talk about that. It's a legal proceeding. You, you, but you're not – that's not part of the, any of the lawsuits. I need to take a break. And he tries to take off his microphone. Like they put him on the hot seat. They do not care about his feelings. They're like, hey – and why can't you answer this question? Hey, Billy. Hey, Billy. Hey, Billy. How about you answer this question? And he dodges all the questions he can, and then he tries to get out of the documentary, period. It, he, you see how, just how much of a weasel this douchebag is. But at the same time, like, a lot of the legal documents are read in, in voice attacks. Specifically, Microsoft Sam, I heard, and the voice of Siri. Why they did this, I don't know. It is so unprofessional. Like, you literally couldn't pay a couple of voice actors to just read out the text like they are the judge or the lawyer or something. You have to use freaking voice-to-text so it looks like a robot is now narrating your movie? That's... That, well, whose idea was that? What kind of cheap... Was it because they paid so much just to get try and get Billy on the hot seat that they couldn't afford voice actors? 
You don't know how little they pay voice actors generally. It can't be any... Like, you have to... We're talking charging micro... You know, paying Microsoft for the license to use Microsoft Sam's voice. You have to pay Apple to use Siri's voice, I'm guessing, because they probably own the copyright to that. Did they not pay the copyright to Microsoft and Apple and all the people who own these voice-to-text modules? Ooh. Ooh. Because if they did, that can't be any... That has to be way more expensive than an actual voice actor. And if they didn't, I think I may have uncovered something about the Hulu documentary. They may have tried to cut corners by using something illegally. Ooh. Anyway. Yeah, this one... Is the one I prefer the con- content-wise because it just talks about how much of a fr- he is just a con artist, and he's trying to do- keep trying to run these cons, and they keep getting and it, they keep catching up to him because he has no idea how to run a good con. He has no idea how to back up something. He just thinks he can take the money and run, but people are paying attention to him, so they're like, "Hey, asshole, where's my money?" So. Yeah, all the way back to his first fake black black card gamut, uh, Magnesis, he's always been conning people. And everyone thought, oh, maybe this time will be different. No. In fact, people are talking about he's co- trying to con, he tried to run a con while he was on parole. Um, no, no, while he was on bail, not parole, because he's still in jail. He's still in prison now. But while he was on bail, he ran another con with the people who signed up for for the Fire app to get to get scam emails. He he truly cannot help himself. And of course, the Hulu one actually talks to his girlfriend, who's who's in on all of this. She's like, "Yeah, I, I know, but he's just such a nice guy. He's just such a sweet guy. And once you really get to know, no, he's a con artist. She did he? What did he do?" Now it makes you wonder what he did to her to trick her into thinking that he's on the level. That he's, that he's, that even though, oh baby, this is just who I am. I mean, plenty of women and guys have fallen for people like that. I mean, it's just who I am, baby. Can't you ever forgive me? That's how toxic relationships function. It's basically like you put up with somebody who's toxic because of one reason or another. It can't be because, I mean, she must either find him that attractive or maybe there is some financial gain for her. I don't know. I can't speak for her. But basically, she sounds like she's all in on this guy who's clearly uh, who's clearly conning people. Who's clearly just a con artist. But hey, some people are into that lifestyle, so maybe that's her. They never really grill her like they do Billy. Um, but yeah, it. I will say, like I mentioned, the Hulu fest, the Hulu one has more detail. But is less, but is not as well made. The Netflix one has better quality, but doesn't go into too much detail. So I feel like they're great counterpoints to each other, and I feel like there could be a third one to complete the trilogy. Maybe Amazon Prime uh, pays for a documentary that focuses specifically on the Bahamians, and then you'll have the trifecta, the one that's kind of the 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 well the well made sort of. Uh, starting point documentary, the one that goes into all the detail and uh, detail about Billy, and then the one that goes into the aftermath fate that that um, that the Bahami the, that the Bahamians suffered because of this festival. I feel like that would be a great trilogy about this whole mess. 
And I feel and I still believe Seth MacFarlane and Evan Goldberg are still working on their um, take on this whole debacle. So we'll see uh, if that ever makes the light of day. I really hope so because this is ripe for comedy. Honestly, like you don't even have to go to you could you could almost be you would have to go inspired by the by the true events because if you took just what happened, it would be pure comedy for the most part. It's just like oh my god. Oh, it's like slapping your head comedy, like, no, they, oh my god, what is wrong with these people? Oh, it's like pure distilled schadenfreude, this whole, this whole course of events. And, yeah, uh, I feel bad for the kids who probably shelled out, I mean, they did talk about how some people tried to live up to this by, you know, quitting their job because they couldn't get it, and spending their, spending whatever savings they had to try and be a part of this, and they got completely conned. Those people I kind of feel bad for, but at the same time, you you really do have to know what you're getting into with these things. And if your thing's not being put on by a professional promoter, and your selling point is Ja Rule 10 years after he was relevant, yeah. That's basically like saying, oh, uh, who's a, who's a good, um, there's another guy who's got, who's lost complete relevance. Oh, uh, one of the guys from Millie Vanilli is pushing a new festival. Who? Why? Why do I care? Uh, yeah. Why do we care that Ja Rule's involved? What, like, who, like, even 10, even when Ja Rule was popular, Chappelle was making jokes about how we can't take Ja Rule seriously. So, yeah. I, it really, it's, 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 it's a hot, hot mess, this whole debacle. And, I would say watch both if you can, but the Netflix one is the better made film, but the Hulu one is the one that has more content to it, and it goes more in, into detail on the creation side of things, and especially about Billy McFarland. So, uh, yeah, that's all I watched this week, so we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to have an extended discussion about the Oscars and the Razzies, since, since the nominations came out last week. This is going to be last week's discussion, pushed up a week. So, stay tuned for that. Did you know Ash's name in Japan is Satoshi, after Pokemon creator Satoshi Tajiri? Did you know Rurouni is a neologism created by the original author of the Rurouni Kenshin manga? Did you know Godzilla's Japanese name is a portmanteau of gorilla and whale? If you want to learn about these subjects and more, listen to Majide, a Westerner's view of Japanese media and culture, available only on the Gumby Cat Network. Time for a uh, award season discussion. Uh, we're not going to do a full uh, and the award goes to. I feel like that's better saved for the actual presentations, the ceremonies. But uh, for for but Nef- but uh, Netflix. Uh, but uh, the Academy announced their nominees for the, this year's Oscars, and at the same time, the Razzies uh, announced their nominees as well, since they happened simultaneously, essentially. 
So we're going to take a look at the nominations for for the Oscars first, since they're the more prominent ones, and then I'll talk about my issues with the Oscars and the and the whole you know in the whole drama leading up to this year's Oscars. Uh, so first off, nominees for uh, Best Picture: Black Panther, Black Klansman, Bohemian Rhapsody, The Favorite, Green Book, Roma. A Star is Born, and Vice. So, you're a fairly predictable, sadly. Although I did like the nod to Black Klansman. I'm glad that's getting some buzz. I feel like it's I feel like it's just buzz for the sake of buzz. I don't know if it's going to go anywhere, sadly. But I do like that Roma got Roma got some attention as well in the in the regular categories. It's always nice when that happens. We're going to have another instance of another foreign language nominee uh, getting that kind of attention later on in the technical stuff. But of the Best Picture nominees, my pick would be either Black Panther or Black Klansman. I think, in terms of in terms of my personal in terms of my personal pick, I would as as if I were an Academy uh, member, I would vote Black Panther. But in terms of you know as as my personal favorite movie of the of the nominees, and as for uh, be, what I considered the best of the nominees. I would, I might say Black Klansman or The Favorite. I'm kind of leaning towards Black Klansman personally, but uh, that's me. As for my prediction for what they're gonna pick, it's probably gonna be Green Book or Bohemian Rhapsody because those are crowd pleasers. Those are the ones that are getting the most buzz. I would be shocked if any of the other ones won besides those two because those are the ones getting all the attention. And sadly, it's unwarranted since they're wildly overrated personally. Uh, and even people who are involved in filmmaking and film reviewing are saying the same thing. Why these two? You literally couldn't do better. And once again, it's further proof, and I'll get into this more in the after discussion, that basically it's not about quality. It's about who paid, it's about who paid for the most attention. It's all attention whores vying for, vying for, you know, pick me, pick me, pick me, and shelling out as much money as they can to the, for attention within the Academy, and the Academy being basically too lazy to actually do their due diligence, personally. Let's, 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 let's call it what it is. Uh, but we'll get into that later. Uh, next up, lead actor. Uh, actor in a leading role, we've got Christian Bale uh, for Vice, Bradley Cooper for A Star Is Born, Willem Dafoe uh, for At Eternity's Gate, Rami Malek for Bohemian Rhapsody, and Viggo Mortensen for Green Book. My personal choice is probably my is basically um, the same as the Golden Globes, Christian Bale, because he's the one who most became his character. Uh, Bradley Cooper ba- is giving a solid performance, but not the best performance. I sadly did not see Willem Dafoe play uh, uh, Vincent Van Gogh in uh, At Eternity's Gate, but it looks good. Rami Malek did okay, but. Uh, well, the biggest part of that performance was basically him lip syncing. So, you know, I'm not saying that, I, I'm, you know, he did it as best that he could, but, you know. And Viggo Mortensen is basically playing an Italian stereotype for all intents and purposes. And it's not exactly a great performance from him, uh, considering. But, yeah, so I think it's going to, th- I would pick Christian Bale and I predict either Christian Bale or Rami Malek. Because those were the I think those were the two picks for the Golden Globes as well. And these award shows kind of tend to feed off of one another. Like, oh, they won this award, so clearly we must vote for them. Anyway, uh, Best Actress in a Leading Role, uh, we have Yalitza Aparicia uh, 
Abricio, sorry, uh, Yelitsa Abricio as the lead in Roma. When another once again, I'm glad this this foreign language, this Mexican film is getting the attention, the same attention as any of the other nominees. So it's not just relegated to the foreign language film category. It's even given a seat at the table for best picture and lead actress. And we're going to actually get see again later on down the line. So, so that's good. I'm glad that it's getting the attention. It's solid. Uh, Glenn Close for The Wife. Never saw that. No idea. Uh, Olivia Coleman for The Favorite. Mm-hmm. Lady Gaga for Star is Born. Okay. And Melissa McCarthy for Can You Ever Forgive Me? That's one I also sadly missed. So I can't speak for Glenn Close or Melissa McCarthy. I hear good things about Melissa McCarthy and Can You Ever Forgive Me? And I hear good things about the film. I would say of the nominees, though, Olivia Coleman would be my pick. Because I feel like she gave the best performance out of the ones I've seen. And uh, as for what I predict, I kind of think they're going to go with Olivia Coleman, uh, just like the the uh, the uh, Golden Globes did. Although they may surprise me and do Glenn Close or Melissa McCarthy. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, best actor in a supporting role: uh, Marshala Ali for Green Book, Adam Driver for Black Klansman, Sam Elliott for Star Is Born, Richard E. Grant for Can You Ever Forgive Me, and Sam Rockwell for Vice. Uh, out of my picks. I would go with either Marshala Ali or Adam Driver, just because those two gave the best performances. Uh, I, I, you know, as much as I hate Green Book, it's Marshala Ali. He's still doing an amazing job. He's still great. So, even though I hate the move, I don't exactly like the movie. I won't say I would go far as to hate it, but I definitely think it's overrated, and I think people are giving it all, more praise than it deserves. But. <sighs> Dude still got. Dude still did a good job, and this is the point of this category. Did they do a good job? Yes, yes, they did a great job. They are the best. Re- they are the only real reason to see that movie, even if the writing didn't do him any favors. So yeah, I would say it, if in a good in a better movie, Adam Driver, but for just overall performance, probably Marshall Ali. And I'm guessing that's who's going to win anyway, because that's who won the Golden Globes as well, and he's just. He's, he's the it guy. He's the one who you really, it's, it's like, it, it, yeah, of course, you pick him because when is he not good? And yeah, when is Marshall Ali not good in a movie? I, I get it. Uh, next up, you've got uh, some double dipping here. Uh, again, uh, for supporting actri- actress in the supporting role, Amy Adams for Vice. Marina de Tavira, Marina de Tavira for Roma, uh, who was, she was the mom in that. Uh, Regina King for If Beale Street Could Talk, which sadly I missed. I really wanted to catch that one. And then Emma Stone and Rachel Weisz for The Favorite. So yeah, double dipping again. Oh, well, well they were so good, we can't just pick one. You could have just picked Rachel Weisz and, and nominated another movie. Come on. That's cheap. That's, I feel like that's cheating. Um, uh, for supporting actress, uh, my pick personally of the ones I saw is Rachel Weisz. But I get the feeling Regina King's going to win uh, like she did for the um, – I feel like I would also be okay with Regina King winning the Academy Award as well as the Golden Globe. But I feel like it's probably going to end up going to Amy Adams, honestly, just because I know they're, they're a bunch of yeah, – like, oh, that's the one we know. So she obviously gave a good performance because we know who she is. I've got my issues. There's leaking into the prediction. They're leaking into the nominees. I'll save it for afterwards. Next up, Best Director. uh, Spike Lee for Black Landsman. Uh, Here's another one of the foreign language ones. Pavel 
Pavlikowski, I believe it's how you pronounce that. Uh, it's he's it's a Polish name, uh, but it, he is nominated for Cold War. Yorgos Lantimos for the favorite, Alfonso Cuaron for Roma, and Adam McKay for Vice. Uh, I feel like Adam McKay's. I feel like that movie's getting way more buzz than it deserves. It's it's not all that good. It's not. I get the feeling it's probably not as good as The Big Short either. Uh, just need. I'd still need to see that. Uh, my pick personally would pro- of the ones nominated, I would probably pick Spike Lee. Uh, but my prediction is either going to be Adam McKay or maybe Alfonso Cuarón. Uh, maybe they'll give it to him again just because they, he's a, he's a darling in in that circle. Uh, we'll see. Uh, best animated feature: Incredibles Two, Isle of Dogs, Mirai, uh, uh, which is uh, from I, I, I think it's from. Some of the people who splintered up. No, that that's that's the uh, animated short. Uh, I'll, I'll talk about that in a bit. But uh, Mirai uh, from Japan. Ralph Breaks the Internet. And Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. No contest. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse deserves this award. And if, you, if they don't give... If they give it to, like, Ralph Breaks the Internet or Incredibles 2, it, it's a bunch of hacks. I would accept Isle of Dogs or Mirai if they ended up going that way. But if it goes to the Disney, the two Disney, the two mediocre Disney movies over the really good Spider-Man movie, then yeah, then yeah, that tells you all you need to know about the Academy. Everywhere else, Spider-Man is the Spider-Verse wins when it deals with people who actually watch the movies. Uh, all right, keep keep it together. Save it for the afterwards. All right. Animated short, uh, Animal Behavior, Bao from uh, Pixar, Late Afternoon. One Small Step, which came from, I believe, I think this was the one where a bunch of ex-Disney and Pixar animators started their own studio. That's what it was. And it's a great, I think, I would honestly pick that over Bao. Uh, if you go check, go check it out on YouTube, it's it's phenomenal. And then Weekends. Uh, so yeah, my pick is would be One Small Step, but I'm guessing it's going to go to Bao. And it's like, it's not like Bao doesn't deserve it, but... Uh, you know, I feel like One Small Step did did more with their animation than Bao did, which is Bao was cute, Bao was a great short story, but I feel like One Small Step is a little bit better. But I feel like Bao's going to win it just because Disney has so much clout behind the scenes. Uh, anyway, best adapted screenplay: you've got The Ballad of Buster Scruggs by the Coen Brothers, Black Klansman by uh, hold on. Where did my note? Okay, here's the notes. I need to shrink up so I can get both on screen at the same time. Alright. Uh, so, yeah, Black Clansman by Charlie Wachtel, uh, David Rabinowitz, Kevin Wilmot, and Spike Lee. Can You Ever Forgive Me by Nicole Holofsener, I believe, and Jeff Whitty. Jeff Whitty. If Beale Street Could Talk by Barry Jenkins. See. Why isn't he there instead of Adam McKay? Anyway, and Star is Born by Eric Roth, Bradley Cooper, and Will Fetters. So I think for adapting the source material, uh, my pick would probably be Black Klansman or maybe Ballad of Buster Scruggs. But um, my prediction is going to go to... Where is it? Here, adapt the screenplay. Uh, A Star is Born, maybe, or Can You Ever Forgive Me? Uh, I would also suggest maybe if Beale Street... I would be okay with also if Beale Street could talk by Barry Jenkins. Just because I think he's... he's, You know, I feel like he's woefully underrepresented here. Uh, But 
most of these nominees are solid, uh, so I wouldn't be a, a, I wouldn't be upset with any one of them winning. Ultimately, uh, original screenplay, uh, The Favorite by Deborah Davis and Tony McNamara, First Reformed, which sadly I missed, Paul Schrader, Green Book by Nick Vellalonga, Brian Curry, and Peter Farrelly, Roma by Alfonso Cuarón. I forget, I didn't know that was based on something, huh? And then Vice by Adam McKay. Yeah, Vice and Green Book could easily be dropped for much better nominees, honestly. Uh, I, I I completely missed First Reformed. I'll have to go find that when it hits video. Uh, but I, I would honestly pick, my pick would be the favorite. Uh, but my prediction is probably going to go to Green Book so that that, you know, that ignorant uh, Islamophobe and and it is and his co-writer the freaking sexual predator can get can say hey we won an oscar too god this industry is garbage anyway best cinematography cold war by lukas lukas zol i believe polish names are not my forte i apologize but um yeah so cold war is another nominee uh has another nomination for cinematography the favorite by robbie ryan New Never Look Away, which I missed by uh, Caleb Deschanel. Uh, Roma by uh, oh he did his own cinematography. I did not know that. Makes sense. I think it was a really low budget of, uh, affair, so he probably couldn't afford. An- he probably didn't want to pay for another cinematographer to to, to uh, direct his vision, just because there's just it was so tight. Uh, I'm assuming. And then uh, A Star Is Born by Matthew Libatique. Libatique? Libatique. Libatique. I'm assuming Libatique. Uh, Anyway. Uh, I haven't seen Cold War, sadly, or Never Look Away. But of the three that I did see, my pick for cinematography would be the favorite, just because I think that did more with the camera work. Uh, And I thought the camera work in that was was spectacular, whereas Roma was essentially standard cinematography, I think. Although it did well. He did... Alfonso Cuaron did do well to shoot in black and white. Uh, so I think on that regard, he did he did a good he did just as good a job, but I feel like of the three three I've seen, those two were the ones I would pick. Uh, of the nominees, I'm predicting the favorite. So we'll see when it comes. I'll write down my predictions and see how my Oscar bingo pool, whatever you want to call it, goes. Best documentary feature: Free Solo by Jimmy Chin, Elizabeth Chai, and, and Elizabeth Chai Vasarhelyi. I believe. Um, that one's about uh, free climbing, I believe. Uh, Hale County This Morning. the Hale County This Morning This Evening by Ramel Ross. I don't remember this one. I don't. A bunch of these I don't know. Uh, Mining the Gap by Bing Liu. Uh, All Fathers and Sons by Talal Derki. And RBG by Betsy West and Julie Cohen. Uh, let's pull up these movies real quick. So we'll go to the Oscars website. And they'll give us uh, a basic uh, rundown of the nominees. And this will tell us more about the documentary. Okay, here we go. Uh, I have to scroll all the way down to documentary. Here we go, documentary feature. Uh, Free Solo is about, uh, yeah, uh, Free Climber. And the dangers of that whole thing. Uh, Hale County this morning, this evening, is about um, Daniel and Quincy. And those of Boosie, the mother of Quincy's children, are depicted as they go about their lives in Hale County, Alabama. Also explored the idea of how the Southern African-American experience is depicted. That's inter- that sounds interesting. 
I'm down for that. I have to go, a bunch of these I have to go check out. Uh, Minding the Gap. Let's see what this one's about. As of, as he films his fellow skateboarders over the years, Bing Liu wonders why so many of them have experienced contentious relationships with their fathers. As he focuses on friend Zach, who is about to become a father himself, and Kier, Kiri? Kier? K-E-I-R-E, uh, who is grappling with his racial identity, Liu realizes he must resolve his feelings about his own abuse of childhood. Okay. That's interesting. Skateboarders kind of going into their back, their histories and why and how they have so many contentious relationships with their families and their fathers. Uh, All Fathers and Sons. Uh, documentarian Talal Durki returns to his native Syria and gains the trust of Abu Osama, a founder of the Al-Qaeda-affiliated Al-Nusra Front. Uh, believing in, in an Islamic caliphate, Abu Osama uh, indoctrinates his sons in his beliefs, sending his oldest two, Osama and Ayman, Ayman? Ayman. I'll say Ayman. To a military training camp. The brothers have differing reactions to their training. However, with Ayman long, however, with Ayman longing to return to school. I feel like that one would be my pick of the one, just based on the premises. Uh, and then Ruth Bader Ginsburg is, RBG is the Ruth Bader Ginsburg documentary. So, my my personal pick, just from having seen none of them and only reading the premises, would probably be of fathers and sons. Um, but I, I don't. But I didn't really pick one since I didn't see any of them. Uh, so my prediction is probably is going to go to RBG because I feel like that's 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 sort of catering to their interests. Let's be real. Um, best documentary short, short subject. Um, you've got Black Sheep by Ed Perkins and Jonathan Chin. Following the killing of a, in 2000 of a 10-year-old boy of Nigerian descent, Cornelius Walker's Nigerian mother, fearing that her sons could also be targeted, moves her family from London to Essex. Their housing estate is filled with racists, however, prompting Cornelius to go to extremes to fit in and find friendship. Oof. That's rough. That's, that's a rough one. Um, Endgame. Uh, at Zen Hospice Project in San Francisco, teams of medical professionals, social workers, and counselors work with patients and their families to ensure that their end-of-life care is compassionately tailored to their needs, while also t- t- trying to alleviate their fears about death. That's a deep one. That's a, that's a, that's a solid choice. Uh, Lifeboat. Not familiar with this one. This is Sky Fitzgerald and Bryn Mooser. Uh... Oh, this is about uh, the refugees. Uh, 2016, the German nonprofit Sea Watch aids refugees braving the dangerous crossing of the Mediterranean Sea from Libya to Europe. One such rescue mission, piloted by British Captain John Castle, plucks refugees from several tiny boats and carries them safe, carries them to safety. During the journey, the refugees reveal how poverty, violence, and sexual trafficking force them to flee their homes. That's that's a really good one. God, these are so good. Um, oh, and uh, End Game was by Rob Epstein. And, uh, where is it? Uh, Rob Epstein and, uh, Jeffrey Friedman. Uh, next up, we've got A Night at the Garden by Marshall Curry, which is about, uh, the not the American Nazi Party gathering in Madison Square Garden. February 20th, 1939, more than 20,000 Americans gathered in 20 Madison Square Garden to celebrate the rise of Nazism. Archival footage shows the speech given by Eric by Fritz Kuhn, the leader of the German-American Bund, as he urges his supporters to mistrust the media and free America from the influence of Jews. Oh, boy. Oh, boy, is that sadly still relevant. Oh, fun, fun, fun. 
And then the last nominee, period. Period. And a sentence. Uh, Reka Zetabchi, I want to say. Z-E-H-T-A-B-C-H-I. Reka Zetabchi, I want to say. If I mispronounce it, I apologize. And Melissa Burton. Uh, in the rural village of Hapur, outside of Delhi, India, women hope to make female feminine hygiene supplies easily available and end the stigma surrounding menstruation, which often results in girls having to drop out of school. A machine that makes sanitary pads is installed, and the woman operating it finds financial security and independence. Well, that's nice, and it's also uplifting. Whereas the others are much more about dour and very serious subjects, like Nazism, racism, uh, death, and the refugee crisis. So... I would, I honestly, um, I didn't want, since I didn't see any of these, my prediction is going to be um, A Night at the Garden, just because of the time we're living in, but, um, and the subject matter of that one specifically, but it could go to any one of these, and I wouldn't be, and I feel like that's all, it's a win, because these are all just solid subjects, so we'll see. Best live action short, Detainment by Vincent Lamb, Fauve, Fauve, by Jeremy Compte. Marguerite by Marianne Farley, Mother by Rodrigo Sorogoyen, and Skin by Guy Nativ. Uh, let's see. Live action short. Live action short. In language. Where's the live action? Sh- oh, short. Uh, live action. That's it. They do it by that. Short film live action. Uh, Detainment. In 1993, 10-year-old friends John and Robert are brought to an English police station for questioning after CCTV footage implicates them in the kidnapping and murder of a two-year-old boy. Oh, interesting. Uh, next up, uh, and then, um... Fove is uh, at, at an isolated surface mine in the Quebec countryside, so it's probably French language. Uh, two boisterous young boys run wild, challenging each other to reckless tests of endurance and, and daring, which only Mother Nature, with only Mother Nature as their witness. Okay. Neat. Marguerite. Elderly Marguerite is cared for by kindly nurse Rachel, and the two become friends. As the lonely Marguerite learns more about Rachel, feelings from her youth resurface, prompting her to examine and accept her past desires. Mother, uh, while chatting with her mother at, at her apartment in Spain, Marta re- receives a phone call from her six-year-old son, Ivan, uh, who is on vacation with his father in France. Marta quickly realizes that something is desperately wrong and that she has very little time to solve the problem. And then finally, Skin is, after spending a day shooting guns and relaxing at the lake with several white supremacist friends, Jeffrey and Krista head home with their young son, Troy, stopping at a grocery store. Jeffrey's irate when J.D., an African-American man, is friendly to Troy, and J.D.'s innocent act re- results in bloodshed. Uh, so, so yeah, uh, that's, that's something. Oof. <laughs> that's also sadly prescient. Um... So yeah, once again, I didn't see any of these, so I can't speak. I can't give my my pick for them. But honestly, I think Skin would probably be my pick for uh their my prediction for them. Uh, although I I think maybe Fove or Marguerite. I don't know. I'd have to see which one. Uh, but I, judging from just judging from the topics, I feel like Skin would be the one that would stand out the most and would they would vote for. But we'll see who wins. Once again, I'm assuming these are all good enough that uh. That they that they weren't uh, 
uh, the win. So I'm not, I wouldn't be, you know, I'm not going to be, you know, hold one over another. Uh, best foreign language film. I didn't see most of these. I only saw Roma, so I won't have any of my picks. But uh, we have Capernaum uh, from Lebanon, Cold War from Poland, Never Look Away. Okay, that's where she came from, that actress. No, the cinematographer. So that's another bleed over. That's good. It's more bleeding over, more accepting of foreign language uh, filmmakers in the main pool, uh, even if they don't win, sadly. Roma and Shoplifters. Roma from Mexico, Shoplifters from Japan. Uh, Let's take a look at the ones I didn't see. So let's head back to foreign language film on on the Oscars website. Documentary. Film editing. There we are. Uh, let's take a look. Capernaum from Lebanon. Uh, after running away from his poverty-stricken life in the slums of Beirut, 12-year-old Zane travels to a coastal town where he meets Ethiopian immigrant Rahil and her toddler uh, son, Yanas. Rahil takes Zane in and he becomes Yona's babysitter. But Zane's life is again upended when Rahil disappears, prompting him to take desperate measures. Interesting. Neat. Cold War, the Polish film. Uh, in 1949, pianist Viktor scouts for talent for a musical ensemble and begins a romance with Zula, the singer and dancer he discovers. Over the next decade, as they travel throughout a politically divided Europe, the couple's turbulent relationship is the source of both their greatest happiness and their bitterest feelings of betrayal. Ooh, so it's one of those kind of films. Never Look Away from Germany. Growing up in Nazi Germany and then in Soviet-occupied Dresden, uh, art student Kurt chased at the restrictions imposed on him by political ideologies. After falling in love and finding freedom in Dusseldorf, Kurt revels in being able to express his creativity as he wishes, although his work remains informed by the ordeals suffered by his entire generation. Ooh. That could be interesting. That's a, the that's a side of things we never really um, see being uh, showcased. That's why I'm interested in seeing... Um, the aftermath as well. That's just another side of the story that's never really been talked about. Roma, uh, I've talked about on the show before. And then Shoplifters is when an impoverished family that uses petty theft to supplement their parents' poor wages takes a, a seemingly abandoned and abused young girl. Their devotion to one another grows even stronger. Running afoul of the law, however, the family's torn apart as its secrets are revealed. Ooh, interesting. So yeah, these all sound like solid uh, picks. So, uh... Uh, well, I, I, I predict Roma just because they'll give it to Quaron for that instead of the other stuff. But we'll see. Uh, best Film Editing, Black Klansman, Barry Alexander Brown, Bohemian Rhapsody, John Ottman, Green Book, Patrick J. Don, De- Patrick J. Don Vito, The Favorite, Yorgos Mavropsaridis, Mavrop, I apologize for the butchering, and Vice, Hank Corwin. Uh, for editing, I feel like my pick would be Black Klansman, but my prediction is going to go to either Bohemian Rhapsody or Vice. Uh, I feel like Black Klansman probably had the best editing of the three, of the five that I saw, of the five, thinking about it, but otherwise, eh, nah. I feel like uh, Bohemian Rhapsody has been making the rounds as sort of a meme in film Twitter about this is nominated for best editing, and it's, uh, it's just one of the weirdest paced, oddly edited scenes in a movie. It's the scene where uh, uh, I think Rami, uh, where Rami Malek as Freddie Mercury kind of like really comes out as flambo- in, in, in his flamboyant nature and it's like showman nature in like, at, at like a diner or, or a restaurant or something. 
it's it's a weird scene, and yeah, that's it's that that's a lot of the kind of editing you'd see. And I, I, I if they showcase that as the reason it was nominated, that'll be like, oh, oh, so you just really don't care, okay? Anyway, uh, sound editing nominees are Black Panther, Benjamin A. Burt, and Stephen Bedeker. Uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, John Warhurst, First Man, Eileen Lee, Mildred Yatru Morgan, uh, A Quiet Place by Ethan Vanderen and Eric Adal, 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 I'm not sure, I'm sorry Eric, uh, uh, congratulations on the nominations though, uh, and Roma by Sergio Diaz and Skip Leafsay, uh, my picks for the sound editing would be uh, A Quiet Place, personally, because I feel like that did it. But my prediction is going to go to First Man, since that's one of the few things it's actually nominated for. That and mixing. So I think they're going to give uh, their their boy... Uh, what's his name? I can't stand him. Uh, whatever his face is uh, behind Whiplash and La La Land. I think they're going to throw him a bone with sound editing and mixing. But I would personally pick A Quiet Place for sound editing. And as for the mixing... The nominees are Black Panther, Bohemian Rhapsody, First Man, Roma, and A Star Is Born. Uh, my pick would be A Star Is Born because of the use of music. And I feel like it did better mixing for the music than Bohemian Rhapsody did. And uh, maybe Black Panther. But I feel like it's going to go to either Bohemian Rhapsody or First Man. Um, best production design, Black Panther, Hannah Beachler, First Man, Nathan Crowley, and Kathy Lucas. The favorite, Fiona Crombie and Alice Felton. Mary Poppins Returns, John Meyer and Gordon Sim, Roma for Eugenio uh, Caballero, and Barbara uh, Enriquez. Sorry, there was a smudge on my screen. Barbara Enriquez. Yeah. Sorry about the weird accent on that one. It was a smudge on my screen. At any rate, uh, for production design, I feel like the I uh, my pick would be for Black Panther because I feel like th- uh, that one had so much wonderful production design go into it. But prediction is going to go for either The Favorite or Mary Poppins Returns. Um, I feel like that those two are going to be the ones to get most of the praise. Maybe First Man. If it's First Man, then yeah. Um, yeah, that, that, says, that says it all. Original score, Black Klansman by Terrence Blanchard. Black Panther by Ludwig Gorenson. If Beale Street Could Talk by Nicholas Bertel. Isle of Dogs by Alexandre, Alexandre Desplat. And Mary Poppins Returns by Mark Shaman and Scott Whitman. Uh, my pick would be for I I I didn't make a pre- I didn't make a pick because I don't remember the the uh, scores as well. But I'm I'm thinking back on it. Probably either Black Clansman or maybe Isle of Dogs. I can't speak for if Beale Street could talk s- score. But uh, my prediction is going to go to Mary Poppins Returns. I feel like that one's going to get it for music. Best original song: All the Stars from Black Panther by Kendrick Lamar and SZA. I'll Fight from RBG by Diane Warren and Jennifer Hudson. The Place Where Lost Things Go uh, from Mary Poppins Returns by Mark Shaman and Scott Whitman. Shallow from A Star Is Born by Lady Gaga, Mark Ronson, Anthony Rosamondo, Andrew Wyatt, and Benjamin Rice. And When a Cowboy Trades His Spurs for Wings from The Ballad of Buster Scruggs by David Rawlings and Gillian Welch. Mm. Hiccup. Uh, best original song, my pick is uh, Shallow from A Star Is Born. My prediction is either going to go to Shallow or The Place Where Lost Things Go. I feel like those are going to be the ones. But I, I definitely agree that they should have kept in the musical acts. They, they don't need to get rid of both the host and get rid of the musical numbers. That's stupid. That is 
That is, I'll get into it. I'll get into it. We're almost done. Uh, best makeup and hair. Border, which I saw uh, earlier this year. It's the Swedish film about um, about uh, trolls, essentially. Uh, and it features the two like caveman-looking uh, characters. Uh, Mary Queen of Scots. Okay. And Vice. Mm, yeah, I kind of see it. I feel like that's... I feel like makeup and hair never gets the full nominee slate. It's always like three. But of my of the three picked, I would pick Border because I think the more effort went into the makeup for that. But I feel like it's going to go to either Mary Queen of Scots or Vice. Mm, more probably Vice, honestly. Uh, best costume design: Ballad of Buster Scruggs, Mary Zulfers, uh, Zulfers, Zulfers, Zulfers. I have no idea. Sorry, Mary. Uh, Black Panther: Ruth E. Carter. The favorite: Sandy Powell. Mary Poppins Returns, also Sandy Powell. She's nominated twice. <laughs> Good for her to get, get that work done. And then Mary Queen of Scots, Alexander Byrne. So I of the of the costumes uh, nominated, I would pick Black Panther just because so much effort went into that one. But I feel like it's gonna just going to go to the usual, uh, you know, period piece costuming sort of thing. So that's probably going to go to Sandy Powell for the favorite. Uh, maybe Mary Queen of Scots. I feel like those are the ones they usually give for costuming, whereas I feel like the unique original costume design that went into Black Panther should be recognized. Uh, at any rate, um, visual effects. Uh, Avengers Infinity War, okay. Christopher Robin, eh. First Man, mm. Ready Player One, eh. And Solo, A Star Wars Story, eh. So yeah, for the visual effects, I think Infinity War it, it get, should get it. But my prediction is it's going to go to First Man. Maybe Christopher Robin or Ready Player One. Just I know it's probably going to end up going to one of the ones that I could not stand. So, yeah, those are the nominees. Uh, a lot of the carryover from, you know, the other awards shows. These things kind of tend to bleed into each other. But as for the drama surrounding the uh, the uh, the ceremony this year, I actually ended a an online friendship over it. It's not a big deal. It's more of an acquaintanceship, honestly. We just knew each other from, I think, the Double Toasted group. And he was he was uh, standing for um, uh, Kevin Hart and thinking, like, Kevin Hart got a raw deal. And we got into it on his thread. And I'm like, no, I'm done. I'm done with this. I'm done arguing with you. I'm done arguing about this. I'm done with this garbage. So my feeling is Kevin Hart's jokes were in poor taste. But they were 10 years ago. Yes, they were. Bef they, he stopped telling them. He has not shown that he has changed his character. He has not really shown that he's more accepting of gay, you know, of, ha of having a gay son or of, I mean, that's the thing. He's made jokes about violence against his, against his wife as too. He's, he said he'd give her the Chris Brown treatment at one point. So like the dudes, the dudes clearly got that mindset into it or else he wouldn't make those kinds of jokes. And I, I, he hasn't changed personally. And if he has, he hasn't shown that he has changed through his actions. He just has hidden that. He's covered it up like makeup over a pimple. You know, it's basically like, hey, I stopped talking about it. But did you? But do you still think like that? But I stopped talking about it. That's his excuse. And... Yeah, it's not just the... I mean, we talk about the homophobic jokes, and specifically the one about beating his gay son. But he's talked about beating his wife as well, and he thinks those that those kinds of jokes are hilarious. At least he used to. And he would still tweet about them. So when Twitter was active, 
he would tweet about them. Uh, and the only reason he doesn't joke about them now is because he's, there's money invested in him not being that kind of abusive dickhead. So, yeah, that's, that's basically, we haven't, sh- he hasn't, like, done events for women's, you know, for, for battered women's uh, groups or for gay rights. Like, when asked if he would be an ally, the easy, here's the thing. I would consider myself the base level ally in that I would I help I would I will help raise voices of the LGBT community and other minority groups over my own when given the chance. And uh if I if I could get people onto this podcast, if enough people listen to this podcast, that I could get people of color of different um of sexual orientations and gender identities on here to talk about this stuff, I would. And I would much rather hear their voices and their stories over my own. And so my point, uh, and the easiest thing to do as an ally is elevate those voices and support their causes. Donate whatever money you can. Maybe do fundraisers for them. Perfect example. H Bomber Guy, uh, the the uh, YouTuber, uh, did a twenty eight. I want to say maybe thirty hour live stream on Twitch. Was it seventy two? I forget how long it went. It went. He went for a long time playing through Donkey Kong Country 64 and doing it to raise money for mermaids, uh, the the UK charity that that uh, helps that helps uh, trans uh, helps trans people. Uh, after um, Graham Lineman, the creator of Father Ted, just tried to get their funding cut from a UK from the from the uh, UK government. The UK government was going to give them uh, a grant, and he, Graham Lineman tried to prevent that from happening. And so H Bomber Guy basically did a whole thing in spite of Graham Lineman to raise hundreds of thousands of dollars to help trans people. And Graham Lineman is still a, a an obnoxious, toxic, p- p- transphobic prick about it. Because he, of course he is. Of course he is. Um, I feel like he is doing a, he is a more prominent and better ally because of his uh, what he is able to do, and you know there are definitely criticisms like the trans people who showed up on his show were, on the stream were mostly uh, white, and he could, and there could have been more uh, trans people of color on there, but that's, that's like a minor thing. That's more of a racial undertone to the trans community. I, this, is, this is stuff that I'm hearing secondhand from people. So I'm not speaking from a from a place of authority. I'm being more of like, well, here's what I heard. Here's what I have heard other people within the community talking about. So I'm speaking from their um mess, mess, from their words, not my own. Uh, just so we're clear, I'm not a member of the community, and I mainly consider myself adjacent to and in support of, which is what I believe an ally should be. I believe an ally should be there in support of the group and put their needs ahead of the per- the ally's own. The ally's needs aren't important. An ally, just like in everything else, is somebody who's there in support of the main group. You're there, not there to take over that group. You're not there in sp- you know, to step in front of that group. You're there to back that group up and whenever they need it. That's what an ally is in my mind. And... In that regard, I'm not as active as I could be just because of time constraints and financial constra- constraints. But I, de- I definitely, whenever whenever I have the opportunity, will help, uh, raise, you know, raise, you know, will help 
causes and 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 the minority groups over my own over my own uh you know whenever i basically whenever i get the chance out and there there's a message that needs to be said i want to elevate that narrative and that and those voices over my own you know i don't need to say anything i just need to make sure that message gets spread to whoever people whatever people listen to me and uh that's what i consider an ally Meanwhile, Kevin Hart says he can't put all that effort into being an ally. It's literally the easiest thing he can do. Literally anybody can be a base level ally like myself. If I can be an ally, Kevin Hart can be an ally. All he has to do is stop thinking of himself and elevate and help support the gay com- and help support the LGBT community. The fact that he says he can't, like he thinks that it's a full time job to support them. No, you, you do that on you do that while you're doing your main job. You do that by, you know, supporting the LGBT causes, elevating LGBT voices, you know, hiring LGBT, you know, people, you know, making sure that they, you know, supporting, maybe supporting LGBT comics, actors, stuff like that. That's being an ally. Being an ally is elevating those voices and those causes with your platform. And that's, that, and he, the fact that he's weaseled his way out of doing basically what any decent human being in his position would do is proof again that I think he just is still homophobic. He just doesn't talk about it as much. And yeah, so and not and this is all beside the point. Kevin Hart is just not that funny to me. I think as a host, you can do better. And in fact, I did have hosting ideas um in, in regards to uh, whoever would host the Oscars. Uh, I feel like the way they're going, the nun having no hosts and just have actors come out and then present the awards. Uh, people are upset about that because they think a host is important for the ceremony. Honestly, the ceremony is so bland that having a host that uh, having a mediocre host is not, I feel like that's worse than having no host at all. I feel like if, if after a certain point, we're just here for the awards. Unless you have something you can, unless you get like people with musical theater backgrounds, people who know how to put on good shows, then then maybe we can maybe then maybe we'd watch the ceremony. But otherwise, we just want to know the results, man. Most of us just want to know the results. Uh, you know, keep the in memoriam segment, keep the musical numbers. We don't need some jackass telling hack telling lazy lazily written you know corporately approved jokes for for Sunday night audiences you know we can unless you're gonna give that person more the the MC the comedian more control over the program if it's just gonna be the same program and you're gonna carve and whittle and water down the host to fit into the, your and fit into the mold that you already have. Then what's the point of even having one? You might as well just fill in that space and just move on. That, but that's just my opinion. So either give it, make the production much more of a theatrical nature, make it much more like a theatrical production. Then maybe people would watch it. Otherwise, it's just you know if you're not going to do anything with it, and it's just basically watered down comedy segments between the between the presentations, then you might as well just skip it. Uh, I do have suggestions for people I would think would be good hosts. Number one, if every year since since the Muppets are owned by Disney and Disney has the rights to the Oscar ceremony, have the Muppets host the Oscars every year. Red carpet all the way to the end. 
Make it a Mupp- Make the Oscars the new Muppet Show. And then, and then the in-between segments are like the behind-the-scenes parts of the Muppet Show, and the Muppets get to sing on every number, every one of the songs. Tell me you wouldn't watch that. Tell me you wouldn't watch the Muppets host the Oscars every single year. Make them the the hosts in perpetuity. Because as long as Disney holds the rights to the Muppets, and they're not doing anything with them, they might as well let Jim Henson have full control and turn the Oscars into the Mupp- the new Muppet Show. People would watch that. The only reason I would think it wouldn't work is because the Osc- the Academy are such snobs that they wouldn't want to degrade themselves with children's fare. But no. If you want audiences to watch it, make them up a toast. Done. Done. Everyone would watch that. Literally everyone would watch that. If you wouldn't watch that, you're a filthy liar. I'm calling you on it. Uh, other than that, turn it into a sketch show. Make it ha- hire old Mad TV, SNL, maybe the state. Bring some people in from the state. Go, go to Second City, go to Upright Citizens Brigade, go to, uh, you know, go to all of these uh, uh, improv groups. Find the best improv writers you can. Groundlings, it's right there in L.A. Go to all of these improv groups, find the best people you can, up-and-comers, get them cheap, and have them turn the Oscars into SNL. Make, S- make it SNL, make it Hollywood-themed sketch comedy. That would be interesting. Then you then you would be able to showcase new new writers, new comics, new you know have actors have fun with these new with these with all these sketches going in between. Have the actors that want to have the actors that want to have fun with sketch work in between, like they're on SNL uh, for a night, and have them you know especially since some of the actors are based in comedy and sketch comedy, like Melissa McCarthy, she could do great stuff. If you know, just have sketch, but turn it into a sketch show. Make it make it like a review, like a review or a you know one of the once again add more theatricality to it. Make it a show. Make it something people would want to see. Just hiring a generic comedian to host the pre-written stuff for them isn't fun. And uh, of the comics, uh, there are two comics I think would nail the Oscars hosting next time around. One, Maya Rudolph. Make, make make it her first, but basically, I have yet to see her not be funny in anything she's in. I think she is, she's an amazing comedian, and give her full reign. Once again, if you want to bring in a comic, give the comic full reign. They pick what what jokes they want to tell. They pick what what kind of sketches and bits they want to do in between the set, in between the presentations. Let them be funny. She was the funniest part of the Golden Globes with uh, Amy Poehler. Let her bring bring some bring some other SNL alums with her. Bring in some other friends. Have her hang out with some of the actresses and actors that she's hung out with and been in movies with before. And have let them have fun. I think Maya Rudolph would be a perfect choice. I know people have been throwing her name into the hat. Uh, my pick personally, Patton Oswalt. Uh, once again, I know you'd want more people. You know, you know, people of color. People of once again, you want to elevate those voices. But as in ter- but just in term and. If and if you have those voices as well, I I'd say throw their hats into the ring and let's uh, you know throw their names into that and let's see what they can do. But Patton Oswalt is one of those comedians who is very deep, deeply informed about Hollywood. He he's written books about Hollywood history, and he's very you know he's he's a complete film junkie nerd. Let one of those guys host the Oscars. Let them. 
let and I think Pat Oswald is clean enough and funny enough that he could work on network television and he could just be he could just be talking about all kinds of fun like stuff and he would just be doing his bits between the second I think he would be a fine host. But once again, he would need to have full reign. Let him let him decide what jokes he wants to tell, what bits he wants to do, let him decide which to what to do for the show. I think the fact that they've basically turned it into a machine that they have to churn out a a, a, a carbon copy essentially ceremony every year is the part of the problem. And I think that's why people are tuning out because there's no reason to watch it. At least the Golden Globes has alcohol. So as the night goes on, everyone gets progressively drunk. Uh, but the Oscars... Should So the Oscars, if they want to maintain relevancy, should do something interesting. Once again, hire the Muppets. Turn it into a sketch show. Give the comics more control. Let them decide, and then and then if, if need be, you bleep stuff out afterwards during the broadcast, if that's the problem. But the fact that you want to make... I think the problem is Disney, and specifically the Academy, maybe the Academy, I don't know, whoever's in charge, the producers want to hold an iron grip on the on the ceremony and instead of just easing up and just watching and just watching like their ideas have all been mediocre like these are the same people who thought oh let's pick Anne Hathaway and James Franco to host why do they have experience once again i feel like don't have your own in-house team of writers scratch that cut all that dump those guys have each MC bring their own team of writers with them. Have them decide what to do. Make sure it's just broadcast friendly, essentially. So, and especially for late night on a Sunday. I feel like you can do it, like, prime time, broadcast friendly. We're not talking, like, late, full late night, but we're also not talking daytime. We can make it, like, broadcast, broad, you know, basically PG-13. We could do that and then just have, then each ceremony would feel unique. Don't have the same writers every year. Then it doesn't matter who hosts. Why have a host at all if all the hosts are going to sound the same? So those are my issues with the Oscars, essentially. Plus also, as I mentioned, the fact that the ceremonies themselves, the the picks themselves are all driven by money and not by quality. Because let's face it, if this is about genuine quality, Green Book and Bohemian Rhapsody would probably not be there because... They would be picking much better movies that didn't get as much buzz. But they're pick- they went there because those studios pushed for those movies. They're not there because they're good. Some some things are good. I mean, even A Star Is Born, as much as I love it, I don't think I would nominate it. Other than Best Song. I feel like they could do better than that. I feel like there's much better movies out there that were much better made. And they just don't have the... I think that's just the, the main problem. Studios should not get a say in who gets nominated. But unfortunately, the studio heads are also members of the Academy, I believe. So, guess who makes those decisions? People with the money. Yeah. So, is any wonder that we can't take the Oscars seriously if it's all just a bunch of the hoi polloi of Hollywood uh, making all these decisions ahead of time? So, why bother? So, yeah, it's hard to root for who wins the Oscar when the ceremony has been bought and paid for already, essentially. So yeah, there's that. Uh, that's enough about the Oscars. Let's talk about the Razzies and how the Razzies are a joke. Not just a literal joke, but... Uh, but li- no, they're literally a bad joke. 
Like that's the whole thing. The guy running it is a notorious hack. And let's talk and let's talk about why with the nominations. Worst picture. We've got Gotti, fine. Happy Time Murders, eh. Holmes and Watson, of course. Robin Hood, yep, and Winchester. I feel like we'll get we'll get him later on, but I feel like the Vanessa Souza movie should be on here as worst picture personally because that was the worst thing I saw last year, but yeah, I feel like I feel like, once again, The Happy Time Murders is only here because it didn't do as well as it could have. I feel like just because it was... I feel like people are blasting that more than it deserves. I feel like just because it's not the, it's not as good as it wanted to be doesn't mean it's the worst. There's way worse out there than The Happy Time Murders, and yet it's all throughout this lit, these nominations. Uh, my pick would be Gotti, personally, but I feel like the winner is going to be Holmes and Watson. Worst Actress, Jennifer Garner for Peppermint, Amber Heard for London Fields. Melissa McCarthy for Happy Time Murders and Life of the Party. Helen Mirren for Winchester. And Amanda Seyfried for something called The Clapper. Whatever that is. Movie I never heard of. Uh, my pick would be Amber Heard. My prediction is it's going to go to Melissa McCarthy. I feel like The Happy Time Murders isn't here enough. It's going to sweep. Uh, worst actor, Johnny Depp, voice only for Sherlock Gnomes. Will Ferrell for Holmes and Watson. John Travolta for Gotti. Donald J. Trump for Death of a Nation and Fahrenheit 11.9. And Bruce Willis for Death Wish. That's cheating. That is literally cheating. You can't... He's not acting just because they're using archival footage. It's archival footage that's not being an actor. Just pick a real actor, damn it. I get... why If they wanted to include the stuff about Death of a Nation and Fahrenheit 11.9 and make jabs at Trump, there are better ways... Worst documentary or worst propaganda. Make that, you know? What is... That's such... It's so cheating, and it's just their way of making digs at Trump when it doesn't fit. There's no reason for it to be there. We get it. We all don't like, most of us don't like Trump. But guess what? Shoving him in there to say, hey, we're we're making fun of Trump. That's not not good. Uh, Anyway, my pick is Bruce Willis for Death Wish. That was the worst performance I've ever uh, ever saw this last year. And then my pick is probably either going to be Will Ferrell. My prediction is either going to be Will Ferrell or they're going to give it to Trump. Worst supporting actor. Jamie Foxx for Robin Hood. Ludacris for Show Dogs, voice only. Joel McHale for The Happy Time Murders. John C. Riley for Holmes and Watson. And Justice Smith for Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Some would say that Justice Smith nomination is not worth, is, uh, is, is not fair. Like, like he's not great in the movie, but I feel like that's not a worst actor nominee. Anyway, my pick is Ludacris because that whole performance was garbage. My prediction is it's going to go to either Jamie Foxx or maybe Justice Smith. Or maybe maybe it's going to go to... It could go to any other one besides Ludacris. I feel like it may go to Joel McHale, honestly, because they just hate, have a hate on for the Happy Time Murders. We're supporting actress. Kellyanne Conway as herself. Once again, cheating. Fahrenheit 11.9. Marsha Gay Harden for Fifty Shades Freed. Yeah, I see it. Kelly Preston for Gotti. Jazz Sinclair for Slenderman, because somebody actually remembered Slenderman. And Melania Trump uh, for 11.9. Fahrenheit 11.9. That's cheating. Quit cheating. The Razzies are cheating. Quit cheating. Anyway, I feel like it's probably going to go... My pick would be Jazz Sinclair, just because everyone in that movie was terrible. My prediction is it's either going to go to one of the Trump people, because, of course, they're just going to make this all about hating Trump, which I do. Don't get me wrong. I feel like there's a time and place for it, though. If you want to do that, 
make that part of sort of a political discussion. Forcing it into the into the bad movie category, that's cheating. That's cheating. You're you're nominating somebody for basically being in archival footage. That's not the same. Anyway, best duo. Act any actors or pup any two actors or puppets, especially in those creepy sex scenes from the Happy Time Murders. Johnny Depp in his fast fading film career. He's doing voices for cartoons for Cripe's sake. Sherlock Gnomes. Boo. Boo. Hack. Hack. Anyway, Will Ferrell and John C. Riley trashing two of literature's most beloved characters, Holmes and Watson. Kelly Preston and John Travolta getting Battlefield Earth, Battlefield Earth type reviews. <laughs> See what I'm saying about this all being a hack? Forgotti. Donald Day Trump and his self-perpetuating pettiness for death of the nation on Fahrenheit 11.9. Once again, that's cheating. That's cheating so you can get digs in at Trump. I don't, I, I put digs in at the president all the time. This is, this is, this is dull seam levels of stretching in order to fit him into the conversation. We get it. Most of us don't like Trump. Have a point and quit breaking your, like, why? We're, we're just nominating everybody now. We're nominating people at everything. Roger Stone for next year's Brazzies because he was in archival footage for a documentary and we hate him. God. God, the Brazzies are so stupid. At any rate, um, my pick for worst combo would be John C. Riley and Will Ferrell. My prediction is either going to go to Donald Trump or the Happy Time Murders because that's it's too much on this list for it to um, not be not win some of it. I feel like it's probably going to sweep because that's how they feel. Worst remake ripoff or sequel: Death of a Nation remake of Hillary's America. That's on point. I see that one is fine. That nomination makes sense. Yes. Death Wish. Holmes and Watson. The Meg. Rip off of Jaws. Yep. And Robin Hood. Okay. See? These jokes make sense. These are all within... the. This all makes sense within the category. Okay. Yes. Thank you. Finally. Anyway, my pick is either Death of a Nation... My pick is Death of a Nation, and I think they're going to go for that as well. Worst Director. Ethan Cohen for Holmes and Watson. Mm-hmm. Kevin Connolly for Gotti, yep. James Foley for Fifty Shades Freed, yep. Brian Henson for The Happy Time Murders, of course. And the Spearig Brothers for Winchester. Once again, Winchester wasn't even that bad. It was just boring. Like, there's worse horror movies out there. You had Slenderman nominated for something. Why not put that? Where's that in the rest of the nominees? You just had to fill out the supporting actress category because you couldn't put one more person from Death of a Nation, could you? Anyway... My pick would be my pick was for uh, Ethan Cohen, Ethan Cohen, Ethan Cohen, whatever uh, for Holmes and Watson. My prediction is it's going to go to Brian Henson because this they have a real hate on for for Happy Time Murders for this year. Worst screenplay: Destination, written by Dinesh D'Souza and Bruce Schooley. Fifty Shades Freed by Neil by Neil Leonard from the novel by E. L. James. Fun fact: Neil Leonard, I believe, is his, is uh, E. L. James' husband. That's, you got that whole job because nepotism and so she can have more creative control over the screenplay. That, what, for more information on the, the nonsense behind those movies, go check out Dan Olson's series on them. Uh, anyway, Gaudy, screenplay by Leo Rossi and Lem Dobbs. The Happy Time Murders, screenplay by Todd Berger, story by Berger and D. Austin Robinson. And Winchester, written by Tom Vaughn and the Spirit Brothers. Personally, my pick would also be Death of a Nation again, and I'm pretty... And my and my prediction is going to go to either that or the Happy Time Murders. 
So, if you weren't already aware, the Razzies were made by a hack comedian, I think in the 80s, after seeing uh, Xanadu. He basically made up the Razzies as a fake award show so he could make fun of bad movies. And here's the thing. If they were funny, it would be great. But the Razzies have gotten to a point, and they've always kind of been at that point, where the dude is just not funny enough to make these this whole process work. Like, the jokes... Like, you heard. You heard what I said. You heard what I was saying. Like, the one joke that really worked was Death of a Nation re- remake of Hillary's America. Yeah. That makes sense. But Donald J. Trump and his self-perpetuating pettiness for worst on-screen combo. Oh, and they're dig at doing voices for cartoons as though it were a bad thing. Because, you know, real actors don't do voices for cartoons. That's almost as bad as going on television. You're a film actor. What are you doing on television? Oh, get over yourself. Get over yourself, you pretentious twat. Uh, anyway. Getting Battlefield Earth type reviews. Uh, nominating Kellyanne Conway, and Melania, and Donald Trump as themselves for being in archival footage. That's These are the kind of jokes that we're getting from this guy. Some of the nominees, yeah, they, they're fine. That... Ludacris did give a terrible performance, but they they'll they'll often pick just one movie that they hated and not and just dump on it every single category, does, whether it fits or not. So uh, it really is just like a hack comedian making his ma- making fun of the movies he hated. Ultimately, uh, uh, Razzie Redeemer Award. What's that? Actress Melissa McCarthy went for multi-Razzie Darling, critically claimed for a caricature, caricature role in, for uh, out of caricature role. I was going to say caricature role. Out of caricature role in Can You Have Forgive Me. Tyler Perry for a multi-Razzie nominee and winner for a self-imposed Medea Trap to his role as Colin Powell on the Oscar and Golden Globe favorite Vice. Peter Farrelly from Razzie winner for Movie 43 and more shallow choices like Dumb and Dumber 2. Uh, to co-director, co-writer of the deeply heartfelt Green Book. Blech. Gag me. Franchise from the razzy targeted heap of metal Transformers to the more innocent and endearing three-dimensional approach taken with Bumblebee. And Sony Pictures Animation from crass multi-razzy winner emoji movie to the highly acclaimed Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. So, apparently that's a thing too. But, yeah. Um, Sunday, they're gonna... Sun, the same Sunday as the Oscars, they're gonna stream on their YouTube channel. Because that's, the, that's what they do. But... Yeah, just the Razzies are uh, over, you know, they're, they're a pale, they're a bad joke version of the Oscars. And, like, that's the thing. You could easily do a parody of the Oscars and the Golden Globes and this whole thing. This whole thing could be done perfectly well. But the guy who's in charge of it is not funny. He's ba- he is barely funny. He, he, he You would be better off having guys like Patton Oswalt... And uh, David Cross and, like, all these other film nerd comedians. I think Cross is a film nerd. I forget what. I have to go back. I think maybe I'm thinking of somebody else. But basically, guys like that who love movies and love rip. Have the people, have the host of How Did This Get Made pick the movies. Have those kind of, have those kind of comedians make the nominees and write the jokes. Because they're funny. This dude is not funny. 
He has barely been funny his entire career. But people just like ripping on bad movies, so it doesn't. So as long as they agree with him, it doesn't matter. Uh, anyway, so I, I, I may check out the Razzies stream, although uh, I may have to check it after the fact uh, because of my work schedule. But the Razzies. The Razzies are just oh no, just as overrated as the Oscars by this point. They are like like I mentioned. If the guy was funnier, it could work. But the dude stretches farther than Dulcine doing trying to do like extreme yoga poses. He's not that funny. He's just an overrated hack ultimately. So we'll see. I honestly care less about the Razzies than I do about the Oscars. So we'll see about that night. Uh, I'll announce the winners on the Monday on the Monday afterwards. All right. Uh, with that discussion being over, uh, let's move into the regular segments. First up, with our box office report. And now the popcorn junkie checks in with this week's box office report. Last week uh, was a pretty rough ride, so I missed out on the box office report for that weekend. So I'll give a quick breakdown of what happened last weekend leading up into this one. There's a BTS world. There's a BTS tour movie. Okay, Fathom. I was going to say, I didn't even hear about that. I think it was like a Fathom Fathom Events one night thing. Anyway, uh, dropping out of the top seven last week was Dragon Ball Super Broly, uh, as well as Escape Room. And then premiering it just below at number eight with $4 million was Serenity, which cost... Well, look at the... I'll see if it recouped any of its cost... uh, uh, after this week, but A Dog's Way Home was number seven with five million dollars, bringing its domestic gross up to thirty million dollars, and its worldwide gross up to uh, fifty million dollars. So uh, thirty-five, three, uh, thirty-five. Uh, no, that's 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 as of right now. So what? We'll so I can't do it. This I can't do the same thing uh, like I did last week. So yeah. Uh, I won't do the worldwide gross until this week, but yeah, Dog's Way Home is still making bank. Green Book shot up after uh, all the award, after the Golden Globe win, so it's back up in the top ten, top seven now with five point four million dollars. Uh, more than do- now made a total of forty nine million domestically. Uh, well, well, well doubled its uh, its budget domestically, so it's fine. Staying at number five is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse last week at $6 million, $169 million domestically. Uh, not Venom number, sadly, but it's still good. The Kid Who Would Be King premiered at number four last week with $7 million. Aquaman stayed at number three with $7 million, making back its budget uh, easily domestically, and it's already over a billion dollars. It was already over a billion dollars by that point. Upside. Brought in eleven eleven point nine million dollars last week, pushing making it uh, profitable f- uh, for its budget sixty two million dollars uh, out of a thirty seven million dollar budget. So it's at least in the black now. And then Glass brought in eighteen point eight million dollars this week last weekend, um, more w- yeah more, more than uh, increasing its uh, its profit margin from its budget and marketing. So yep, that was last week. Uh, looking to this week now, uh, anything dropping out of the top seven? A Dog's Way Home finally dropped out of the top seven. Uh, that's where the $35.9 million came in, and it's over $50 million to, uh, worldwide. Uh, the Kid Who Would Be King uh, 
drop uh, drop down from four to seven, brought in four point two million dollars this weekend, bringing its domestic gross up to thirteen million dollars, and its overall. Hold on. Let me pull up. Uh, let me see if I can get. Uh, it doesn't have the budget listed on its. On its uh, what's it called? Uh, it's on um, Box Office Mojo. So let's take a look at IMDb. See if they have the budget. Da-da-da-da-da. Not there. Let's check Wikipedia. The kid who would be king. Budget was $59 million, and uh, domestically, it may, it's made $13 million, and worldwide, it's made 16 Oh, boy. Yeah, sorry, Joe Cornish. I, I just think you could have done better. Uh, I don't know if this was just a studio project for him or if this was an actual uh, passion project if that he wanted to, do the, wanted to try and do a kid's a new take on King Arthur. But, yeah, sat, sorry, bud. Better luck next time. Uh... Number number six, Green Book stayed there at four four point three million dollars, bringing in a total of fifty five point eight million domestically, and uh, worldwide eighty one point three million dollars. So yeah, this is a this is a financial success, even though it's wildly overrated and even problematic in some regards. Staying at number five is Spider Man Into the Spider Verse, which brought in four point four million dollars, bringing its domestic gross up to one hundred seventy five million dollars, with a foreign total almost. With the foreign market almost doubling it, making its current worldwide gross three hundred and forty-seven point two million dollars. Still, I still still sucks that Venom made more than it, but hey, I'm glad it's doing so well. It's still doing well, and it still warrants sequels, which it teased at the end, and I'm hoping we're going to get more. The more of this series, less of Venom. Dropping from three to four is Aquaman at four, with four point seven million dollars this weekend, bringing its d- domestic total up to three hundred twenty-three million dollars and one point one billion dollars worldwide. Yep, probably DC's most finance. Isn't it? Is it DC's most DC extended universe? It's only number four. Um, what about worldwide? Nope, number one worldwide in the DCEU. So good for them. We'll see how they do uh, with uh, Shazam and all the other stuff later on that got down the line. Premiering at number three is Miss Bala with $6.7 million uh, its opening weekend. Uh, nothing from the foreign markets, only half of its budget. So I'm guessing if it sticks around long enough, they'll make that back, but not exactly doing stellar numbers. Especially since it couldn't compete with The Upside, which brought in $8.8 million this weekend, bringing its domestic gross up to $75.5 million, and it's worldwide gross up to $81 million. So yeah, they've made back their money, no problem, so they're doing good now. Uh, and then Glass stays at number one with $9.5 million, bringing its domestic gross up to $88.6 million, and its worldwide gross up to $198.9 million, almost $200 million. That's almost 10 times what it costs to make. So yeah. That Shyamalan tapped into the zeitgeist with this one. They people wanted more of this, so uh, we'll see what he does next. If he wants to try and continue down the superhero track and do this whole uh, train three one one whatever whatever nonsense, Unbreakables uh, universe is called now. But uh, yeah, that was the the weekend that was. That was the week that was. So 
after the Big Bowl weekend, where you look ahead to some major releases coming up in this week's Trailer Talk. Coming this summer. It's Trailer Talk. Rated R starts Friday. Since it was Big Game Weekend, I'm actually going to do something different this time around for Trailer Talk. I'm going to be looking at all of the trailers that premiered. Thankfully, uh, sites like Variety... Uh, no, Vox. Vox is the one I got. Variety was where I got the nominee, the Oscar nominees from. Uh, thankfully, Vox collected all of the big premieres. So we're going to be watching them all uh, at, as part of this week's trailer talk. So, first up, we've got the trailer for a, a new spot for Alita Battle Angel. So, let's take a look at that. I'd rather serve in heaven yep marshal ali some things must be seen on the big screen the must see cinematic 3d event of the year those the effects for the producers of avatar mind-blowing adventure battle angel ready pg-13 february 14th that was excellent. So yeah, the, the um the effects are looking better and better as the closer we get to it. So I don't know if they're still working on it or something. Uh but if they were still working on like rendering or whatnot, but yeah, it this we're almost uh we're yeah, next week. Next week it's going to come out. So lo- I look forward to that. I'm getting more and more pumped for it as it comes as as we get closer. Next up, Avengers Endgame. Let's take a look. Marvel Studio. Oh god, thanks Marvel. Thanks for reminding us. Some people. Where do we go now that they're gone? They're not us. Not us. Oh, nice. Nice. Like that one. Uh, so yeah, that's some more footage revealing what's going on with, uh, everybody, but yeah, I'm excited. This is going to be fun. Can't, I have to pre-order my tickets soon. Uh, next up, Captain Marvel, about a month away. We got to, uh, for this one. So let's check out the, that spot. Not to show these boys how we do it. You ready? Higher, further, faster, baby. Yes, Who is that? Neat. I like this. Who's that? Who's who's her her Air Force friend? I recognize that actress. Try to keep up. Captain Marvel. Nice. Yeah, I can't wait for that. Uh, Let's take a quick look at um at the cast list because I recognize that actress. I don't want to say I want to say it's Taraji P Henson, but I don't want to say it's Taraji P Henson. Uh, let's take a look at Captain Marvel. Uh, cast list. Who is that? It uh, we got uh, Gemma Chan is in there. Uh, McKenna Grace, Lee Pace, Ben Mendelsohn, Jude Law, and at Benning, Jamon Hansu, Clark Gregg, Colin Ford, Chukumodu, Robert Kaczynski, Rune Tempt, Kenneth Mitchell. Hold on, is it further down in the cast list? Let me pull it up. Let's see if there's somebody I recognize. Uh, a bunch of those were Cree 
warriors and uh like Cor Jermon Hansu is reprising his role as Korath. Uh Lashana Lynch? I th- I think that may have been her. Let me see. Uh who is Maria Rambo? Digging into deep Marvel lore apparently. Maria Rambo. Unless that's an alien character. Maria Rambo, fictional character in the comics that eventually became leader of the X-Men's Photon Pulsar Spectrum. Initially known as Captain Marvel, the character joined and eventually became leader of the Avengers. In other media, Monica Rambo appears in Captain Marvel, played by Akira Akbar. The version is a child in the 90s whose, okay, Mother Maria is a friend and fellow pilot. That's it. So yeah, so Monica is going to, Monica is, uh, it is the fellow Captain Marvel who has that similar power, but it's her mom that's featured in the trailer, and that is uh, Lashana Lynch, who I don't know if I recognize. Uh, she was last seen in Brotherhood and Fast Girl, so she's new. Um, was that what she's known for? Bulletproof the series. Um, still, still star-crossed Doctors. Crim, Crims, Crims, huh? Death in Paradise, Atlantis. Powder Room, Silent Witness, Fast Girls, yeah. I, she's so she's new, but hey, she's she's she gets to be a, she gets to be in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, so good for her. Uh, we'll see about we'll see how prominent her character is. Uh, at any rate, uh, yeah, that that uh, that's a great spot. I can't I have to get my ticket for that soon too. Uh, next up, the premiere of Fast and Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw. Not the full trailer. I think that's in theaters coming up, but this is the Super Bowl spot at least. Fast and Furious presents of the planet, human evolutionary change. Who the hell are you? Bad guy. Idris Elba's so cool. Gonna stop me. Hobbs. Sure. You have to work together. No way. This job requires stealth. I'm trying to save the world, which, for the record, will be my fourth time. Because I'm really good at it. Hobbs and Shaw, you're on a war. You've got one. All three, one, two, three. <laughs> okay, that's a that's a good bit where where uh, the Rock is doing all the action and uh, and freaking. Uh, Jason Statham just climbed in the elevator. Okay. Yeah, this looks like fun. I get why they wanted to do uh, a spinoff of these two, because they have great charisma. And uh, Idris Elba's the bad guy? Okay. I mean, he's, he's a literal supervillain now with actual, like, superpowers. So we've clearly jumped the shark with this series. But at the same point, it looks like fun. All right. Uh, we got four quick 10-second teasers about Guillermo del Toro's scary stories to tell in the dark. Here's number one. This summer, from Guillermo del Toro. We're next. We're next. Scary stories to tell. I like that they're keeping most of the uh, the designs look clearly uh, based on the on the drawings from the book, but they definitely are keeping them mostly hidden for the for this t- point in time. This summer, from here's number Guillermo two. Oh yeah, I, like this one I specifically remembered though. 
That, I thought that one was a bit. Like a scare, like a, like a cute one. Uh, I didn't think, but they're taking that one a bit more seriously. And they actually made it really freaky and messed up. So we'll see about that one. Next up. Based on the iconic book series. I'm not sure what that one's about either. Yeah, because that's the other thing is that a bunch of those scary stories were actually like little joke stories. So it's hard to say. I, I have to go recheck out the books to see which ones they took seriously and which ones they just straight up adapted. Based on the iconic book series. Not sure what that one's about, but or why it's a girl in like a dra- 50s style dress. This is going to be weird and interesting, and I can't wait for the full trailer to pop out. But it looks it looks super super cool. I'm fine. It's finally coming about. I remember hearing about this for years, and now we now we finally get to uh. So now we got finally get to see what Del Toro does with this classic book series. So uh, next trailer uh, is a 30 second spot for Toy Story Four. Let's take a look. You got place is amazing. Wasn't Buzz gonna meet us here? He must be held up somewhere. Hey, up here, Astro Boy. If you think you can take our top prize spot, you're wrong. Dead wrong. Help me get out of here. I'll help you. With my foot. Wow. Key and Peel are oh still God. in this movie. Oh, oh, to infinity and my foot. Boom. <laughs> in the vacuum of space, they cannot hear you Okay. All right. Yeah, I'm not super excited. I still feel like it's a complete, um, you know, it's going completely uh, unnecessarily forward with a story that we that we clearly finished. But we'll see. Uh, we also got a new minute spot for us. Let's take a look. See if there's any new footage. Hopefully they don't reveal too much. You know how sometimes things line up? Coincidences? Since we've been up here, they've been happening more and more. It's like there's this black cloud hanging over us. From Jordan Peele. There's a family in our driveway. I'm concerned about that kid. I think he's going to be the weak link of this. Comes a new nightmare. Who is that? Run. On March 22nd, watch yourself. What are you people? It's us. Us. Rated R. Ooh, that's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. Uh, yeah, I can't wait for that one. Um, Done a lot of whole new footage, so that's good. They didn't reveal anything new, really. So we're going to have to wait and see, hopefully, Bob, come March, what the real deal is. Uh, and then finally, the last one is a, is, a, is, the, is a new trailer for Wonder Park from Paramount Pictures and Nickelodeon. So let's take a look. Good morning, June Bailey. Uh, Operation oh, gosh, she has the my name. it couldn't be done they who's they it's just an expression don't bust me on a technicality wait, wait, wait. Uh-oh. 
I never want you to stop using your imagination, but without wrecking the neighborhood. Do you ever feel like Wonder Park is real? Of course it could be. You can create anything you imagine. From Paramount Animation and Nickelodeon Movies. Why is this here? What if the park you always imagined... I'm in Wonder Park. Came to life. What is going on around here? The chimpanzee zombies are tearing apart the park. We need to fight back. Oh no. Seems I have backed into the middle of something. Backing out? Beep. Beep. Good lord. It's time to bring Wonder Park back to life. Who's with me? Oh, I still believe in you. <laughs> if you can imagine it, you can ride it. The Skyflinger. <laughs> the Fantastic Fish Carousel. Awkward. <gasps> Zero G Land. I'm more of a two feet on the ground kind of guy. <gasps> and the Wonder Coaster. I'm gonna be down. No! You guys did block the wheels, right? Oh, that's what this is for. Oops. <laughs> No, 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 This is beginning to feel like a terrible turn of events for us all. I'm with him. Wonder Park. Brace for impact. Everyone look away. I'm going to throw up. In theaters, March 15th. Yeah. I'm a bit worried that it's gonna have like those really bad kid elements in it, like the like the like the body humor and whatnot, the throwing up the 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 dick jokes that are that feel really out of place. But otherwise, this could be fun. So those were all the Super Bowl uh, spots. I feel like I'm most excited for us. Yep, uh, scary stories to tell in the dark. I can't wait for the full trailer for that. And the two Marvel movies look great. And then Belly to Battle Angel. Great choices for the trailers this year. Excellent. Uh, also on the Vox post. On the Vox uh, article, they had the poster for Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, and it's the scarecrow with the hole in it. Uh, it's going to be fun. I can't wait for that. I can't I can't wait. Ah, yes! Because I hear he's a big fanboy of it, too. So, those are all the trailers. Uh, so, let's take a look at the, what's coming out this weekend. Uh, first up, we've got The Lego Movie 2, the second part. So, let's take a look at that trailer. Once, everything was awesome. Now... Everything is bleak. Hey, Lucy. I brought you coffee. Coffee. The bitter liquid that provides the only semblance of pleasure left in these dark times. Oh, my goshness. Did I interrupt you brooding just now? <laughs> okay. <coughs> need to change the belt. We have to be tough and battle ready. Look, a shooting star. Make a wish. <gasps> I do like that Emmett never really changed his uh, <clears throat> childish uh, nature. Oh, you're pain. So cold. Emmett, what are you doing? Hooray! See, that wasn't so bad. Nothing got in. Ah, something got in. I'm General May. Bring me your fiercest leader. Lucy! Emmett! Ah! So it's time fun. to go. Hang on to your fronts, Planny. We're going to save Lucy. Where no brick has gone before. 
save your life? Not at all. Who are you? The name's Rex Danger Vet. Galaxy defending archaeologist, cowboy, and raptor trainer. <laughs> I don't get it. Yeah. Will you yeah. help me rescue my friends? You don't want to go anywhere near the Sistar system. It's ruled by an alien queen. Only the toughest are gonna get out of there alive. Who's a good boy? Who's a good boy? <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> This February. Queen, whatever I would not be. If I'm getting super evil vibes here. I could change my form to something else if this makes you more comfortable. Hey, guys. No, go back. The horse was much more palatable. I got a play phone and a play phone. I got to get it, baby. <laughs> no, it did not. A1, hit him with the A1 song. Say the A1, not the A1 side. Lucy. Emmett, did you draw stubble dots on your face? What? No. The second part. I'm your worst nightmare. You're me when I'm late to school and I forgot my homework and my pants are made of pudding? No, I don't. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's fun. That that looks like fun. I'm not as concerned. I mean, I am concerned about some things. Mainly the um, the whole double duty uh, Chris, uh, Chris Pratt stand-in character. It's like, hey, Chris Pratt's in this movie. What if we do a parody of all the stuff that Chris Pratt did? Like Jurassic World and Star-Lord and how he's, how he's tied to being Indiana Jones for his hot second. And it's like... That's so... That feels so self-congratulatory. I feel like they could have easily done an, 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 its own thing. Like make somebody... Make uh, Alden Ehrenreich voice him and he's basically Han Solo. But he's a parody of Han Solo. I feel like that would be way more, way, way cooler, or something like that, you know. Rather than, um, rather than just Chris Pratt patting himself on the back and how cool he's gotten, uh, that's how it feels, at least to me. But um, otherwise, like Tiffany Haddish is the villain in this, it looks like, and uh, everything looks cool. I heard about, I heard a quick, I, I saw a quick uh, TV spot that gave away what the big plan is, but I, I'm really excited. I'm, I'm hope, I don't know if this will be as good as the first one. But I have good feelings. I'm going to have to rewatch that first one this week at some point. But yeah, I'm excited. So we'll see when this comes out. Um, next up, we've got uh, something that I wanted to get out of the way in January. But nope. we got to do this in February. Fine. What men want. Let's take a look. Sweet new wheels. A little pre-celebration for the big day, huh? I'm making partner, baby. <clears throat> Time to break that glass ceiling. We all know who deserves this. Give it up for our summit, Worldwide Sports Management's newest partner. Whoa! <laughs> uh, Allie, that pass was actually to Eddie. <laughs> I'm so sick of this boy. Paramount players. You don't connect well with men. Just stay in your lane. I don't trust women who don't get dudes. Like, I don't trust a man with no eyebrows and too many keys. For the producer of Girls Trip and Ride Along. I can help you connect with Oh, hey, Erica Badu. This smells like dirt. Oh, that's just jasmine tea. If you don't count the weed, and the peyote, and the crack. Miss Davis? Thank God this one didn't die on me. Starting today, no more drinking at work. Hey, that's too much information. I didn't say anything. I feel weird after last night. Yeah, that's 
That's what happens when tequila meets desperation. Okay, stop saying things you shouldn't be saying to your boss. Holy crap. Can you hear my inner thoughts? I can hear your inner thoughts. Oh! This Jan... Yeah, January. Nah, now it's in February. That's my farts. She gave me this tea. And you drank it? She said to. I thought black people stopped drinking tea after Get Out. What? What? Why? What? Do we have any meetings on the books? Nothing yet. Except the private poker game tonight. This is not a curse. This is a gift. Men's inner thoughts. Are out in the open. Little lady, what you doing at the big boy's table, huh? Two grand. I'm bluffing these fools. I'm missing Real Housewives. Shaq finally has a winning hand. Why am I thinking in the third person? Why is no, this so... Am I having a stroke? Wait, I have toast in my pocket. God. It was supposed to come out of January 11th. Oh, come on. Well, I just want it out of the way. Although I may finally have something to add to the worst list this year because, uh, to quote Corey Coleman over on Double Toasted, this looks like some straight-up black foolishness. I'm not going to lie. Most of the what I'm seeing in the trailer, it feels like something out of a Tyler Perry movie more than anything else. So, uh, I, I really want to get this out of the way. I, I don't want this anymore. Please stop. Uh, so yeah, what men want. A joke that was made 10, oh, 15 years ago, I think now, by Dave Chappelle. And that skit was funnier than this whole movie. Christ. So yeah, that's going to be coming out this weekend. Next up, we've got something that, that I finally realized has started to be pushed as a comedy. It's a dark comedy. Cold Pursuit. Starring Liam Neeson. He's doing more parodies of his old of his Taken stuff now. So let's take a look at the trailer again. I'm no speech giver. I'm just a regular guy who keeps a stretch of civilization open. But I really am honored to be citizen of the year. Mr. Coxman? Yeah. It's about your son. He's dead. <laughs> okay, yeah, there's the comedy. Tell me what happened. He got mixed up with some drug dealer by the name of Viking. Who's Viking? Viking's a whole different breed. Viking! Do you know what a bully is? I gave you Lord of the Flies. All the answers are in that book. Yeah, okay, I'm seeing more of the comedy in this trailer. What makes you think you can kill a man? I read it. Crime novel. (laughs) (laughs) Three of Viking's dealers have disappeared. Speedo, Steamboat, Sam, Step. What is it with all these nicknames? Speedo Viking. It's a gangster thing. Did you have a nickname? Wingman. Wingman? Yeah, from Top Gun, as in you can be my wingman. In 2019, one guy can disappear. But three? Someone wants me dead. My guess, it was White Bull. White Bull. White Bull. Is Vikings rival? Disappearances. If White Bull wants a war, then I'll give it to him. Oh, Jesus. Can be deceiving. We had a turf war right here in your town. <laughs> this doesn't happen in Keo. Just did. You have gone as far as you're gonna go. This is my world now. 
I don't think it does. I will have blood <laughs> for blood. I thought you were a kidnapper. Not all the time. When you drive the same road day after day, it's easy to think about the road not taken. But I picked a good road, and I stayed on it. Nels Coxman, Citizen of the Year. <laughs> good for him. Okay, yeah. We need rooms tonight. Oh, I'm sorry, you need a reservation. Excuse me. Do you have any idea what I can do to you on TripAdvisor? <laughs> okay, yeah, that looks like fun. Um, it also looks like there's a, the rifle gang is uh, all indigenous actors. Let me double check. Um, pull up uh, IMDb real quick. Look at uh, the weekend in movies. It'll, prem- it'll show on, uh, yeah, there it is, Cold Pursuit. Uh, let's take a look. Uh, go down to White Bull. Tom Jackson, one of Canada's most popular actors and country folk singers, entrepreneur, born to Rose, a Cree mother, and Marshall, an English father. So yeah, he's um, he's he's an indigenous actor from Canada. Um, Raúl Max Trujillo, uh, northern New Mexico, descendant of Ute, Apache, Comanche, Pueblo. Oh wow, a whole lot. He's got a whole lot in him. Um, Dominic Lombardozzi. No, he's one of the one of the Vikings guys. Uh, Ski dude, Detective Osgard. Yep, Jip. I guess maybe Yip. Jip. I don't know. Uh, William Forsythe uh, is in here as well. Um, Tom Bateman is going to be playing uh, the the main bad guy. He's from Snatched and was on Murder on the was in Murder on the Orient Express. Da Vinci's Demons. Couple of stuff I don't really know him too well. I don't remember him at all from those things, but uh, he looks he looks kind of like Joaquin Phoenix a bit, so that'll be interesting. Uh, but yeah, this this looks like fun. Uh, now that I know what to expect, I'm gonna have to see what comes up comes of it. So we'll see that this weekend. Uh, and then finally, uh, our last trailer for this week is from Orion, which I can only ever hear Weird Al. Whenever I see the Orion picture, because they still have the old '80s logo in there, uh, as, far as their as their lo- as their um, as their like tag, so it's like Orion, do nee Orion is bankrupt now. Uh, for those who haven't, go check out the co- director's commentary for UHF. That's where you'll hear that at the very beginning of the movie. Uh, also, go check it out. It's amazing. Uh, one of my favorite movies. Amazing director's commentary. Uh, like people actually come in, and on the DVD, Weirdo actually stood up in front of the screen to do a couple of jokes. It's fun. It was amazing, and they took it out of the Blu-ray, and I'm sad because those were amazing. They should have uh, uh, they should have kept those in perpetuity because that was part on parcel of the director's commentary. Anyway, uh, yeah, that was fun. Anyway, uh, Orion Pictures is back with as part of NGM, and they've got a new trailer for the and we've got a trailer for their new movie, The Prodigy. Let's take a look. Did you really just say that? Nurturing genius. He's our little prodigy. Aw. Miles isn't wearing like other kids. His intelligence is off the charts. I don't have an exact score, but it'll be very high. He's special. 
Ooh. This kid actor is actually pretty good. Mommy? What's wrong with me? Miles is having a very difficult time making friends. I want you to tell me everything that you remember. I don't remember anything. Miles' brain is extremely well developed. He may need a specialist. You must be Miles. On February 8th, Miles is dangerous. I don't feel safe with him in the house. Oh my god. He's so different now. I feel like I don't know him. Oh, it's so creepy. No matter what I do. Ugh, the pro that's a way better trailer than the one I've been seeing. Oh, that's so creepy. You know what I'm getting? Omen vibes. This is like a real send-up of the omen. And I can't... I, I am here for this. I can't wait. Uh... Oh, this looks good. This this trailer made me... This trailer sold me on the movie. It could be terrible, but I'm here for it at least. So yeah, that's what to expect from this week. Uh, so we'll come back next weekend. Uh, but for right now, it is time for the plugs. If you're listening to this podcast, you're most likely listening to us on our homepage at GumbyCatNetworks.com. And if you want to keep up to date on all the new uh, episodes as they come out, you can do so by favoriting the website on your uh, in your browser. On your browser, whatever. Uh... And um, whitelisting us on your ad blocker and checking out all of our other fine programs as well. Uh, we're going to have a new um, a new uh, Living in the Stacks coming up this month. Uh, it's going to be about uh, the Scarlet Fever, I believe, epidemic in, in Philadelphia. Maybe the uh, – I think that's what it was in uh, 1793. Uh, so stay tuned for that. And then we've also got uh, all, all of Donna's stuff over on Snarkcast. Uh, I believe Vanessa is still doing her stuff uh, through uh, Las Vegas Oddities, Odd Vegas. And if you yourself are a podcaster and you want to join our fine network, you can do so by sending us inquiries at gumbicatnetworks at gmail.com and we'll get back to you and see if you can join our lovely podcasting family. Uh, otherwise, if you want to check us out on your on your mobile devices and on your, and on your various podcast providers, we're in iTunes, Google Play, uh Spotify, Spreaker, Stitcher, uh, iHeartRadio, all of that, and we're hoping. I'm hoping to join Podbean uh, as soon as I can, uh, and turn that into another Patreon outlet as well. And so you can have all the Patreon content through Podbean if you want to use that as well uh, down the line. But uh, in the meantime, you can find me there. Be sure to leave a five star rating and review, and let people know that you like the show and that they should check it out as well. And uh, if I had more uh, uh, outlets to to uh, get people's reviews read, uh, in, uh, I could I could read those out on the show as well and shout you out uh, for for your con- for your contributions and letting and sharing the show with your friends. Uh, but you can also share the show uh, through your various social media platforms. Uh, we're on Facebook at facebook.com/popcornjunkie. Twitter we're at cornjunkiepod. Uh, Instagram I'm very bad at, uh, but I'm there at Popcorn Junkie Podcast. I'm on Stardust at, at, at Popcorn Junkie, and you can join us there for all the fun that we're having on Stardust. And uh, if there's anything else you want to say, any kind of feedback you want to give, corrections I should make, uh, additions to uh, what I've said, uh, con- uh, 
any kind of uh, refutations if you had your own opinions on Miss Bala or the Fire Dev- Festival documentaries or my thoughts on the uh, Razzie and Oscar nominees and the Oscars in general, send all that to popcornjunkiepodcast at gmail.com. And if you leave the note that you give me uh, permission to use on the podcast, I will read out your email on the podcast. Otherwise, I can just paraphrase. Otherwise, I'll just paraphrase. That about does it for this week. Until next time, I'm John Bailey, and I managed to make it through this episode with minimal coughing. Hopefully my voice gets better soon as the weather warms up. The theme song for Popcorn Junkie is Funky Popcorn by The M. Look up Funky Popcorn by the letter M on SoundCloud for more of their music. Artwork provided by Nafio. N-A-F-Y-O. Look up nafio.deviantart.com for more of his artwork. I think my Rudolph would be a great choice as long as... Sorry, that was my... Let me cut that out.